Hi, and welcome to the Tech Podcast. This time we're reporting from Belong, UK's largest network of gaming arenas, where we're about to join a live conversation with some of the biggest names in the gaming industry. Today, I'm joined by Kate Russell, tech reporter, educator, and also host of our live event, Game On. Hi, Kate. Hello can, there. Can you give us a clue as to who you'll be speaking with shortly? Yes, we. one of the joys of virtual attendance of these kinds of things is that we can drag people in from all over the world. So we went across to Texas and spoke to Farbridge. Well, we brought them into us. Um, we're France, Germany, the UK, and of course we had people from um, the esports industry, game developers, uh, broadcasters, Twitch streamers. So there's lots and lots of people with lots of different perspectives on the gaming industry. It's a really interesting conversation had. Thanks, Kate. I can't wait to hear what they all have to say. Here we go. Good morning and a very warm welcome to you. I'm Kate Russell, tech reporter and ageing gamer, and I'm delighted to be hosting this very timely discussion today about the unsung hero of British innovation, the gaming industry. If you ask most people in the street today to describe a typical gamer, they are likely to dish up the stereotype character of a teenage lad raging at Fortnite in his bedroom. But in truth, if you look at the more than 2.5 billion gamers around the globe, the average gamer is 34 to 36 years old, owns a house and has children. And in many territories, approaching half of them are women. I have been playing computer games since the dawn of home computing, elite on the BBC Micro. I'm willing to bet a fair few of you watching can probably say the same. And I started reporting on tech back in 1995 as a games journalist. It has been fascinating to watch the sector grow and morph and exciting to see how many of the cutting-edge technologies developed to satisfy gamers' demands for more immersive experiences have been used across industries to drive innovation and growth. Gesture control, computer vision, mixed reality, they were all made mainstream because of their value to gamers. Hollywood producers are using game engines to create big screen entertainment and epidemiologists are using data from World of Warcraft to make more accurate mathematical models for the spread of a real virus. Let's face it, far from being a bedroom hobby for awkward teens, gaming is an important part of the global economy and the backbone of countless innovations we use in daily life. So, the video games industry has grown up, and we shouldn't really be surprised. It is over 50 now, after all. Its denizens are also grown up, with disposable incomes as they start heading in en masse into retirement in a couple of decades from now, a lot of disposable time as well. Are we ready to cater to that kind of opportunity and growth? The pandemic, too, has accelerated change across the world. People had to get down with technology if they wanted to take part in life. And as a byproduct of trying to survive, they realised how much fun a game of Among Us with your friends could be. Experts are saying we might have leapt forwards 10 years in tech innovation because of the pandemic. And I think it's clear that the future is not going to be less online than it is today. The future of the games industry is definitely online, whether it's digital marketplaces and communities or gamers competing against each other in permanently online titles like Fortnite or Overwatch or streamers using platforms like Twitch and YouTube to entertain huge audiences watching at home. Even coders and designers working remotely on developing a game, it all relies on a fast, stable connection to the internet. 
Historically, the UK has done really well in the gaming sector, right from the start, pushing the boundaries in genre-defining ways. It's become a world leader and is a vital part of the UK economy, creating highly skilled jobs across the country. But as we move into the next generation of games and gamers with new demands, new challenges and new opportunities, are we sure we know the games industry well enough to be ready? That, my friends, is the question we are going to have a stab at answering today. I'll be joined by specialist journalists, analysts, developers and gamers themselves to discuss how the UK can continue to support the growth of this exciting sector. All that's coming up in Game On. Joining me for our first panel discussion is George Gigiashvili, who is Principal Games Analyst at Omdia, covering areas including cloud gaming, subscription services, AR, VR, and wearable technology. George, welcome to you. Hi, Kate. Also joining us is podcaster, presenter, and all-round tech and gaming enthusiast, Shay Thompson. Hello, Shay. Hello. Welcome, both of you. Thank you so much for being with us. Perhaps we could start by talking about how the sector has changed and shifted in the 18 months during the pandemic. Um, Shay, let's start with you. Who, who is playing games at the moment, do you think? Because there is this sort of, sort of typical idea that it's maybe still a bedroom, uh, you know, teenage boys in their bedroom, isn't there? Uh, it's also grown women in their bedroom. I'm coming to you live from my bedroom. If right in front of me, I've got my Nintendo Switch, my PS4. You know, it's this thing where, you know, for a long time, it was considered to be this kind of solitary experience that only, yeah, boys did. But uh, like you said earlier on, you know, it's very much split down the middle with women, men and other marginalized genders making up like a big chunk of, you know, who are playing these games. And yeah, it actually skews a lot older than people think. Uh, there was a story recently about a guy who, like an older guy who he played the entire Mass Effect Legendary Edition, which is this iconic trilogy uh, for the first time because he was able to play it on an easier difficulty and he experienced this wonderful world. And yeah, it was a really good time for him. And, you know, we're seeing more and more stories stories like that. And Shay as well, I remembered seeing a story from Green Man Gaming like ages ago about how they have the, the, the genres that people are buying are shifting and actually it's not competitive games that have been going during the pandemic, but cooperative games and puzzle games. Is that your experience from what your audience is, you know, sort of in, in your streaming are expecting you to play as well? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, you see a lot of uh, puzzle games in particular and narrative driven games, so stuff like The Last of Us, you know, we talk about like Animal Crossing as well in a time where we can be physically connected with each other it was a way for people to keep up with their friends i know it was the same thing for me i had so many group chats going like talking about like turnips which is one of the currencies in game and yeah you know and those are people who hadn't really bought consoles or played games before um so yeah it brought loads and loads of people into the fold to play loads and loads of different types of games George, in your experience, obviously your company does a lot of research and you sort of keep your eye across multiple different um, you know, sectors and also um, regions. How does gaming compare with other entertainment sectors in terms of how much has been impacted by the pandemic? Well, just like, um, just, just like all industries, um, video games and uh, has been positively impacted, you could say. So we actually saw an average of 20% year-on-year increase in terms of money being spent on games, which is really, really impressive. And I completely agree with what you guys have discussed. Uh, because of pandemic, more people did turn to gaming. And actually, according to our research, 
we saw that almost 90% of 16 to 70 year olds actually tried gaming in the last year or 18 months, which is quite amazing. And in terms of gender split in UK, it's, it's basically 50-50. Yeah, the, this is always surprises people when I speak to them about the gender split because, you know, I don't, I guess, look like the typical, in most people's minds, gamer. Um, but the other thing that the typical gamer will have experienced over the last 18 months, George, is um, the connectivity issues. Um, you know, not just for gaming, but, you know, the whole neighborhood is streaming all sorts of movies, Netflix, you know, all the rest of it. How has the usage of data shifted during this pandemic time and how has that impacted the gaming industry? Yes. So the, the, the network companies really had to work a lot to keep up with this increased demand. So, for example, at the beginning of the pandemic in Italy, I remember there was a case where Fortnite dropped a, a large free update and Telecom Italia uh, actually said that they saw a massive spike in usage and they had to, that they had to actively deal with that spike. And that was all due to this massive update. And as the games are getting better and better, as the fidelity gets better, the game sizes and downloads are getting larger as well. So telcos have to in invest in their networks and into things like machine learning and AI to spot these kind of spikes and deal with them proactively. George, I've been arguing with my service provider, like gamers across the world, I'm sure, during the pandemic about the sort of like the way that the connection will suddenly just choke. And, you know, they're saying weight of traffic because of the pandemic, you know, it, it's extraordinary times. We're not going to refit our infrastructure. Um, but do, do you think that that's, you know, sort of... Do you think it is going to lighten off once the pandemic lockdowns all end? Um, are we going to continue with this sort of issues around data? Mm, <laughs> I don't think that issue is going to go away anytime soon. Uh, if anything, more and more people will turn to gaming in the future as well, just as they have during the pandemic. So I don't think that's a good excuse. I think the, the reality is that uh, the network operators have to continue investing into their network and improving it because as i said the the, the gaming um is, is becoming more immersive requires a lot more data and we have things like cloud gaming on a horizon as well uh, with you know, services like stadia and game pass and subscription services as well which is all reliant on game downloads so if anything we're going to see a lot more downloads <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Shay, I mean, in your work, you must rely more and more on the connectivity and not only for playing games, but also for allowing your audience to connect with you. Have, what's your, what kind of experiences are people enjoying with gaming now? And, you know, do, do you think that we're moving away from a, a sort of a world where you can play games offline? It's going to be all online? Um, I think... Like it was destined for, you know, fully online gaming to be the thing, like things like Stadia and, um, you know, xCloud, that was supposed to be the future. But, you know, as we've sort of said, like the infrastructure just isn't there yet. Uh, so I think, you know, 
I think you'll have a sort of hybrid, uh, what I'd like to call a hybrid of the two. So you'll have people playing, you know, single player games, but playing it in a way that is kind of, you know, reminiscent of co-op um, or like kind of couch co-op where you kind of pass the controller back and forth. You can do stuff like that on the PS4 and the PS5, um, sort of sharing the controller. Um, you know, I've done streams like that where, you know, I'll let people help me make choices in um, narrative games that let you do that. So I think, you know, we'll see a, a bit of a hybrid for the time being in terms of like content that's put out, but I don't think fully online gaming, I don't think we're there just yet. This is really depressing for me, George, because when you look at other countries around the world, I mean, I've been lucky enough to travel to Japan with BBC Click and you sort of compare the situation that they have, you know, they're sort of running around sort of, you know, doing AAA games on their mobile phones, for goodness sake, while they're waiting for the bus. Um, do you think, George, that we, you know, how, how fast do we need to start running if we want to keep up with the world in terms of connectivity and infrastructure? Well, I think overall, UK is doing quite well, uh, at least when it comes to gaming. So UK is in the top five markets for gaming in terms of the spend on games. So that's China, US, Japan, South Korea, and then UK. But uh, I actually wanted to show you just one slide, actually, uh, in terms of uh, the, the, the spend that we're expected to see and how that's going to grow over the next, year, next few years. So on the left-hand side, just kind of uh, that peak that you're seeing on a tw in 2021 that's uh, spent on game consoles in UK. So that's a, a new record in, in in 2021, thanks to the new generation of Xbox and PlayStation consoles reaching $1.6 billion in 2021. That will obviously t uh, peter off over the next few years as the, the price of hardware goes down. However, the spend on content will go up, as you can see on the right-hand side. Uh, and as you can see, there is a growing trend over the next five years. So the total market for games will grow from 6 billion to 7.3 billion, supported by new technologies such as cloud gaming. We saw this, didn't we, with office computing, um, you know, where it used to be terminals, you needed a terminal that, you know, was good enough to run the software, you needed it to run and they needed to be everywhere. And as we began to put everything cloud side, you almost can reduce yourself to a dumb terminal. Um, you know, you just need that fast connection and the ability to um, sort of port that data backwards and forwards successfully to your machine. Shay, do you... Do you think that um, the technology that you have available to you at the moment is going to be sufficient um, to continue sort of like really enjoying the games? And, and do you find that your, your, your viewers as well are finding that they're sort of like being left behind a little bit with tech? Um, I think there have been um, kind of circumstances that have attributed to that. So, you know, it's really hard to get like powerful graphics cards, for example, just because of, you know, manufacturing issues with the pandemic and stuff. So, you know, there's a big, big bottleneck with trying to get stuff like that. Um, and then even with consoles, like, you know, I'm one of the lucky few. I have a PS5, but, you know, not a lot of people do. And, you know, when I go back and forth, like when I play stuff on my PS4, you know, my good old faithful, there is like a noticeable degradation. It's not something that people um, necessarily like 
point out but sometimes it is really egregious you know you had games like uh, cyberpunk that were just completely broken like unplayable on old uh, generation consoles so your xbox ones your ps4s so, and you know that was a huge huge deal um so i think there are like special circumstances where people will you know absolutely not entertain that at all but i think it's i think it's more people are more forgiving nowadays just because of the kind of um manufacturing issues at play but I guess manufacturers are only going to be able to use that as an excuse for a limited <laughs> amount of time now as we head out of the pandemic. Um, okay, Georgia, who do you think is in, in looking at the gaming world and you know sort of the, how we're going to progress in the future? Not where we're at now, but where we may be in ten years, twenty years from now. Which country is poised to really be leading the pack? Mm-hmm. Well, as I mentioned, those countries that are already ahead of the UK, particularly. Uh, you know, Japan, South Korea, of course, and China, they are so advanced in terms of technology and smartphone adoption and things like 5G rollouts as well, I think is important. I always say kind of South Korea is, is a great market to have a look at uh, like, a, um, like a crystal ball in terms of kind of show you what is to come in other markets. So if you look at South Korea and how quickly they managed to roll out 5G and uh, their ability to deliver things like cloud gaming to millions of uh, people in the country, that kind of gives you an indication of uh, what is to come and what countries like UK should be striving for. What do you think we can learn from countries like that um, to help boost our own ability to meet demand and grow with the markets here in the UK? uh, Well, there are many different uh, challenges to overcome, as I mentioned, be that, uh, you know, uh, making sure that the things like fiber rollouts and and 5G rollouts are, 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 are done at a good pace and has a good coverage in, um, in in whole country. So that's, of course, one of them. And the uh, other one is things like supporting the, the, the local gaming scene. So a local uh, gaming development companies and publishers and so on. I think this is something that these countries have done really well. And UK is doing that, uh, doing well in, in, in that regard. But I think, as always, you know, they, they could be doing more. Yeah, we've definitely got the talent and we've got the history as well. Um, Shay, if there was one thing that you would like the the powers that be to do do to help us push forwards, what would be the one thing that you would like the omnipotent god of gaming to do? (laughs) Um, Just to kind of get on my soapbox for... A very short amount of time, you know, video games as a medium are interesting because it's the intersection where technology and art, um, you know, sit. Countries like Japan and South Korea have folded gaming into their mainstream culture. You know, if the UK took games seriously, like uh, both technically and culturally, we could see that same push. And then, you know, we'll see it come from the top down, from the government, you know, from just people's like perception of games that would lead to, you know, more gaming content on like mainstream outlets. Um, And I think that then puts gaming in people's minds and then it's like yeah we should do more stuff with this so hopefully that's that's the tide that we'll be seeing in the next year or so i would just echo those comments particularly with south korea the, the, the interesting thing that happened in south korea in early 2000s is that 
because there was widespread piracy of games, they essentially invented the whole free-to-play genre to, to counter that. And of course, it really doubled down on esports as well. So I think uh, mm-hmm. as a whole country, as Shay has just mentioned. So these, I think these are kind of the lessons that can be learned. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's so frustrating to me. I think as, as somebody in the media, I have responsibility as well because you see so many parents afraid to let their girls game and stuff like that. So we need to take it more seriously. Um, Shay, George, thank you so much for joining us. It's been brilliant speaking to you. Thanks, Kate. Pleasure. So that's the end of part one. Join us next time for part two where we'll be hearing from the experts about user demand and experiences, as well as the impact gaming has had on society. 